Well, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Sojourn. It's good to be with you this morning and gather together to open up God's Word as we continue in this series, as Will mentioned, called People of the Word. We're just spending the beginning of our year talking about what it looks like for us to really be people who take God's Word seriously. And so we're going to be preaching from the Bible as we do every week. If you need a copy of the Scriptures, would you just raise your hand? We'd love to uh, pass those out. There's going to be some people walking around doing that. So just keep your hand up till they find you uh, this morning so that you can read along with us today. And if you don't actually own a copy of the Scriptures, please feel free to take that home with you. That's our gift to you this morning. Uh, we're going to be back in Second Timothy chapter 3 this morning as we were last week. Uh, so you can go ahead and flip open to that. But, uh, but as you do that, let me pray for us before we begin our time in God's Word. Father, this morning we come before you in expectation. Lord, our, our desire this morning is to, to be able to sit under your Word as we open it up this morning, as we talk about, as we hear your Word preached and we're preaching on your word, Lord, that you would just do a work in our hearts and our lives to encourage us, to convict us this morning, to challenge us, to hear from you. As we talked about last week, as Will mentioned again this morning, this is your word to us. And so, Lord, we just want to come humbly before you. I pray that if we're not expectant this morning, if we haven't recognized the significance of what it means to sit under your word, that you would help us this morning to recognize that. Open our hearts, our minds to receive what you have for us. Father, we pray that you would make your word profitable in our lives today. Lord, we thank you that it's by your spirit that we're able to understand. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that work in us today for your glory, for our good. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, listen, we're all losers here. I'm not going to ask how many of you played Powerball, but I don't think any of you won. I mean, this is crazy, right? I mean, we're just looking on the TV, reading stuff in the news, and just seeing this kind of crazy madness that ensued over the last few weeks. $1.5 billion. That's crazy. We can't really even wrap our minds around that. And it's just, what a crazy cultural phenomenon, right? To watch people, I'm sure none of you, but watch people stand in line to buy a ticket, a ticket to try and win this jackpot. Maybe something you've never done before, maybe you do often, but it was just interesting to see this. And it was crazy because as the, the, the kind of uh, excitement built, more and more people wanted to buy more, which increases the chances of, or the increases the winnings, but also increases the chances of you splitting that jackpot with someone. I think there were actually three jackpot winners that are going to split that, that after taxes, roughly $930 million are going to be split up among these people. But you know, I mean, it's fun to think about what you do with that money, right? I'm just to kind of sit around and, and, and think about it, but that's about all it's worth. It's just a little fun daydreaming because it isn't a profitable thing for you to do, to spend your time actually planning for what you would do with that money. The odds of winning the jackpot were one in 292 million. You have a greater chance of being killed by a shark than winning that jackpot. It's not likely you'll even be bit by a shark. So it's not a very good use of your time to go out and buy a few hundred dollars worth of tickets and then go online and start to research a new car or a bigger house or what a yacht would cost. You probably shouldn't spend much time researching how much a private island costs or a private jet to get you to your island costs. 
In most cases, it was a waste of a few hundred dollars because to even win a hundred dollars in the Powerball, the chances of that are one in 14,494. You're more likely to get struck by lightning in your lifetime than win a hundred dollars in the Powerball. I mean, we live in a capitalist society, right? I mean, we, we care about having a good return on our investment. We want to do things that are profitable. And when we think about that, most of the time it's about money. We think about how can we do things to manage or make or get more resources. And, and we know what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, look, you came into this world with nothing and you're going to leave it with nothing. So something that you and I should care about at the end of the day are things that are going to last forever. Things that are both profitable for our life now, but also for all eternity. Last week, and as we said this morning, we're beginning this series called A People of the Word. We, we want to begin the year, begin 2016 as a church, looking at the scriptures to see what God has to say about his word to us. We want to seek to drive us as a church, as a community, to God's word, to take it up and read it. And, and that's true whether we know Christ or we don't know Christ, because we believe this is God's word to us. And so today we're going to jump back into the same text we looked at last Sunday and just dig in a little bit more to see what the Apostle Paul has to say to us about God's Word. And my hope is, my hope is this morning as we look at this text once again, that we'll see that God's Word, that the Scriptures are not only the definitive Word of God, but that they're enormously profitable for us as well. Again, no matter where we find ourselves on our spiritual journey. So with that, let's jump in and may God bless the preaching of his word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you haven't opened, go ahead and open up to that and we'll read the same verses that we looked at last week, verses 14 through 17. Hear what the Apostle Paul has to say to us this morning, what God has to say to us this morning. Starting in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You know, last week as we dove into this text, we saw that Paul was seeking to encourage Timothy to continue in what he had learned, continue in what he had been taught and believed and remembering who he learned it from, from from Paul and from his grandmother and mother. And, And Paul made a strong declarative statement. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is given to us by God. The Bible, the 39 books of the Old Testament, the 27 books of the New Testament in their entirety are the definitive word of God. Every word of it, all of it from beginning to end. What scripture says, God says. So if we want to know what God says, then we have to be people who go back to and look at the scriptures to find out. I mean, what an amazing gift of grace That the one holy transcendent God, the God who created all the world out of nothing, has spoken to us. And we can know him. And we can know about and learn about ourselves in relation to him. And we can know and learn about the means of our rescue that comes through saving faith and the saving work of Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God. I mean, this is critical for our lives. 
No matter where we find ourselves in relation to God right now, whether we know and follow Christ or whether we're just checking out this whole Jesus thing, this whole church thing, this is critical for us. If this is God's definitive word, then we must take it up and read it. It can't be ignored or sidelined or marginalized in our lives. It's not one source of wisdom among many. As if it's just, it holds equal weight or value as anything else that the world offers to us in the form of wisdom. No, it's where we learn wisdom that comes from God. I mean, think about this. If God, the creator of the cosmos, the author of all things, the sovereign Lord over all creation, if he even speaks a word to you, just a word, maybe one word, one phrase, one sentence, wouldn't you listen but it isn't just one word, it isn't just a phrase, it isn't just a sentence, the whole of Scripture, Genesis 2, Revelation, all of it, from God to you. Man, what an amazing thing. That's why Paul goes on to say what he does in this, in, in this text that's crucial to this text. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. There's that word, profitable. Profitable means useful or beneficial, it's advantageous, it's valuable. But, but in what way? I mean, we can do a lot of things in life that are useful. We can do a lot of things in life that are profitable, that are beneficial, that are advantageous to us. We can be wise with our money, spending only what we have, not what we don't. Saving, investing, all those kinds of things. We can go to the gym to take care of our physical bodies, exercising. We can eat well, taking in food that's healthy and not food that's unhealthy. We can get good rest allowing our bodies to recharge and recoup from the day. We can go on vacation. We can participate in leisure activity. We can have good friendships. I mean, we can change the oil in our car and maintain normal, the normal maintenance of our car, and that's useful. That's profitable. That's advantageous. That's valuable for you if you want to take care of those things. So is God's Word just something like that? Changing the oil in my car is a good thing. Reading the Bible is a good thing. It's profitable for life. It's a good thing. What does Paul say though? He doesn't just say it's profitable. He says it's profitable for something, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So let's break those down a little bit to understand what he's trying to say to us. He says it's profitable for teaching. This is the primary function of scripture. And it's not so much about me, like if I'm standing up here this morning trying to teach you, that's not what he's talking about here. He's saying scripture teaches you. Scripture teaches you. That's what its purpose is. Like I said last week, if we want to grow in our knowledge of God and of ourselves, we must come to the Scriptures, to God's Word to do this. They will instruct us in both right belief and right thinking. The Scriptures teach you. It says it's profitable for reproof. It's not a word that we use very often. It has the sense of rebuke to it. Not something we like very often. And it's not so much that he's talking about rebu re rebuke or reproof in the form of or in relation to our, our lifestyle or our sin as much as it is in relation to our belief, to what, we're, what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves. Remember, Paul's trying to encourage Timothy. He's trying to encourage him to continue in what he's believing, what he's always believed, what God's word says, because there's these false teachers and false teaching that's rising up within the church and so the scriptures are good for reproof in that way, to point out what we're believing, something that's false, either about God or about ourselves. Paul also says that it's profitable for correction. 
Reproof is in the negative sense. Correction is in the positive sense. We become aware of false beliefs about God. We become aware of false beliefs about ourselves as we look at the scriptures. But then what the scriptures do is they correct us. They straighten us out. They help us to understand what is right. What is the right thing to believe? What is the right thing to understand about myself or God? The goal of correction is recovery. It's recovery, recovering what is true and good and right. But as we're corrected in our belief, we're also corrected in the way that we live because what we believe affects how we live. So as we submit ourselves to the word of God, as we're confronted with this truth, we're instructed in the good life of God that he offers to us, which is often so counter to what the world calls us to. See, the world says, seek first your kingdom and you'll be happy. God's word says, seek first God's kingdom and he'll take care of you. The world says to avoid suffering at all costs. God's word says that he uses suffering purposefully in your life to make you more like his son. The world says to you that you are the most important person in it. God's word says that God is the most important, that everything we do and think and say should be to his glory and his praise. This is how God's word corrects us. It sets us straight, which leads us to the last thing that Paul mentions here. The scriptures are also profitable for training in righteousness. This word training sounds similar to teaching, but it has a different sense to it. It's something different that Paul's trying to say here. It's really about the whole education of a person, not just about knowledge, but all of life. The word Paul uses here really has the same sense of kind of rearing up a child, training up a child, bringing up a child. Uh, I've talked about my son Owen before. He's about five and a half, well, a little bit more than that. He'll be six in April. And uh, over the last week, he's uh, he's, he's done some things that have needed some discipline. And, and I always try and sit down with him and just talk through that. Hey, buddy, what's going on? And, and one of the questions, if I, if I think about it, if I'm, if I'm not angry um, with whatever he's done, which is not always the case, um, I ask him a question. Hey, buddy, what's going on in your heart right now? Why do, why do you think that you did what you did or said what you said? Try and get him to think a little bit deeper about why he's acting the way that he's acting or, or saying the things that he's saying. Then I ask him the question, why do you think God tells you to obey your parents? See what he's thinking. Why does he think that, that God would ask him to do that? But I also ask him this question. What does God call your parents to do? And, 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 I, and I just try to communicate to him. God calls your mommy and your daddy to love you and to train you. To help you to understand more of who God is and more of what that means for you. And as you relate to God. Now I said it in a way that hopefully an almost six-year-old can understand. But the point in that is that what I'm trying to do with him in the midst is he's kind of wrestling with life, trying to discover the world, is trying to train him up to try to un- help him understand more of what it means to understand God and understand himself in this world he finds himself in and the heart that he has that's jacked up with sin just like all of our hearts are. See, that's what God's word does for us. It, it, it trains us in righteousness. It, it confronts our lives. It has a holistic effect and purpose to show us who we are and transform us into who God is calling us to be. Now here's a quick side note for parents. I am far from perfect in discipling my children, my three kids. I, that's, that's not, I'm not, we don't get that right. I don't want you to ever think that because I'm a pastor in a church that like my kids know the Bible backwards and forwards, that I'm awesome at discipling them, that all we do is sing about Jesus and talk about Jesus. 
That's not what we do at home all the time. And, I, and we're always working towards trying to disciple our kids and, and thinking about what that looks like. But one thing that we consistently try and do, that Amy and I consistently try and do, is just pray for our kids to come to know Jesus. And so every night as we pray together, we pray, that, pray for that, that God would bring them to, to an understanding of the gospel and their need for Jesus and give them faith. But another thing that we pray, another thing that we pray is that God would allow us, that he would use us to point them to Jesus. It's not just about their salvation, but that God would use us as their parents to train them up to, so that they would see Christ in us as we talk about that. But we also need to understand that that's going to come as we minister the word of God to them. That was Timothy's story. See, Timothy's stories, we go back, Paul says it was, it was God's word that make you wise to salvation. It's because your, your mother and your grandmother taught you the scriptures, Timothy, that you understood your need for Jesus. You understood your need for grace. So parents, and even church, if you don't have kids, you can encourage the parents in this room, you can hold us accountable that we would not only pray for our kids' salvation, but we'd also minister the word of God to them. So they would hear and see, believing that it's God's word that will help them to understand their deep need for grace. Sojourn, we can't miss something crucial here. We can't miss something crucial that Paul says here. It is because this is God's word to us that it's profitable for these things. It's because it's God's word to us that it's profitable for these things. That there's weight and authority in this. That this is God's word to you. That's why it's profitable for you in these areas. I mean, there's lots of things that claim to teach you, that claim to reproof you or correct you or train you, but not at the level of the scriptures because nothing else comes from the the creator of all things. I mean, if I build my house on a bad piece of land or use bad building materials, it's not going to last. It's not going to stand. I could go out with my $930 million and find a nice place to build something, but if it's shaky ground, if it's marshland, if it doesn't have a good, a, a good, piece of, a, a good place to build a foundation of a house on, then it doesn't matter how much money I put into it, it's going to fall apart. If I get a bunch of building materials that are rotting or infested with termites, it's going to fall apart. The same thing is true with the Word of God. If I build on solid ground, though, using God's Word, if I build on solid ground in my house, if I use the best materials, it will be able to endure time. It will be able to endure the storms of the world, the things that come. Literally, a house that's built well can endure those things. But the same thing is true with God's Word. It's the fact that it's God's word, it's divine origin that has the power to teach us, to train us, to make us wise to salvation, to save us, and enables us to know and follow Jesus. And so when we build our lives on God's word, we can endure everything we encounter in this life. The good, the bad, the mundane, and the exciting, because God's word will bring us back to reality, and it will give us hope not only for today, but also hope for tomorrow. The source of Scripture provides the foundation for its usefulness. The source of Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God, provides the foundation for its profitability in our lives. It brings conviction and correction. It shapes both what we believe and how we live. And it can do that because it's God's very word to us. Now, all that may sound good, but we can ask an additional question, but to what end? What end is it to have these things, have this, these, these four things that Paul mentions that are profitable? See, I think there's an error that has creeped up or creeps up in the church today, particularly in churches that care a lot about the scriptures. 
that care a lot about good theology and things like the doctrines of grace, and, and we, we, we love the Bible. But I think the error that creeps up oftentimes is that we can approach God's Word in kind of a cerebral way, an informational way. We come to it just to download information, just to get knowledge, but it stops there. See, out of our heart is how our lives are lived. It's where, our, as we've said before, the motivational structures of our life reside. And so we need God's Word not only to affect our thinking, not only to affect our knowledge that we can answer, answer Bible trivia questions, it's not just to pass a, a, an exam about information. We want that to not only impact our mind, but impact our hearts. That's why Paul goes on to say this. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's some strong words here, complete, every. So what's Paul's talking about here? And we have to remember, Paul's talking specifically to Timothy. He's speaking specifically to Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to understand the, the benefits, the, the purpose of God's word, because Timothy is a pastor in this church, and he needs to be, be confronting and dealing with these struggles in life. But, but we have to understand, this is for you and for me as well. This is for you and me as well, because all Scripture is for you. It's not just for Timothy. All Scripture is for you. It's not just for people that are pastors or in ministry or seminary professors. It's for all of God's people. So let's break down what Paul says here. He says that the, the word of God is profitable for all these things. Continue in it, Timothy, because it will make you complete. Complete. What does Paul mean? The word complete means proficient or competent or perfect in being who God has called you to be. So this means that if you and I are going to grow and be who God intends and calls us to be, it must come by and through his word. You know, oftentimes scripture refers to life as a journey or a race. And our, our church is called Sojourn Church because we believe that we are all on a spiritual journey. We're all, we're all on a spiritual journey. We're all trying to figure out life in this world. And our time in this life and in this world are both temporary. Sojourn means journey. And sojourner means someone who journeys who's just passing through. This is not our home. So the question for all of us then is where are we going if we're just passing through? We believe because of God's word that we will either be with God for all eternity or we'll be separated from him for all eternity. We'll experience his presence in the fullness of joy or we'll be separated from him enduring eternal wrath. And what we learned last week is that the scriptures, God's word to us can make us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Our, our sin and rebellion have separated us from God. They've created a chasm, a distance from God because God is holy and we're not. But Jesus, God's word tells us, Jesus has made a way. He's made a way for you and I to be brought back into relationship with God. We see that he lived a perfect life for us. He died a substitutionary death on the cross for us, taking on the wrath of God that you and I deserve because we spat in God's face. We turned to live our own way. But Jesus went to the cross for us and he bore the weight of that judgment from God that we deserve and then he rose again. And he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And you know what he's doing for you right now? He's advocating for you. He's advocating you for before the Father because you know what else is happening right now? There's an accuser who stands before the Father and accuses you day and night, day and night because of your sin. And that accuser doesn't need to make anything up about you. 
doesn't need to tell lies about you. You know that there's sin in your life. You know that there's unbelief in your life. You know that there's struggles in your life. And so he comes before the Father and he accuses you and he accuses you, but you have an advocate, Jesus, who stands there and says, I've paid for that. I went to the cross for him. I went to the cross for her. I rose again to triumph over that. And I say all that this morning because the reason we know those things is because God's word tells us that. God wants you to know that this morning. He wants you to be reminded of that every day of your life. Because we live in a world, and even with one another sometimes, we play the role of the enemy in that, and we start to accuse one another. We hear the voice of the enemy accusing us. We come back to God's word, and we recognize, and we remember what 1 Peter 1.23 says, you have been born again. You've been made new, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Remember what God says to you. Remember who you are in Christ. See, when we place our faith in Jesus, we are declared right with God. We are declared justified, forgiven, set free from the captivity and slavery of our sin, and we are made into a new creation. But the good news is that's not where the gospel stops. The effects of the gospel in your life is that God says to you, I'm not only going to save you, I'm not only going to forgive you, I'm not going to leave you where you are. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to mold you. I'm going to shape you from one degree of glory to another. What we have to understand this morning, church, is this, that what Paul is saying is that it's God's word that's the primary means that God uses to bring you to maturity. It's not through experience. It's not through other things that the world offers you. It's through his word that he uses. It's the primary means he uses to bring you to maturity as he seeks to renew his image in you as he seeks to make you more like his son, as he seeks to finish the good work he began in you the day he breathed life into your dead body, the day he removed your heart of stone and gave you a heart of flesh, the day he wrote his law on your heart and said to you, you are mine. You are mine. It's God's word that shapes your belief and shapes your lifestyle. Because as our hearts and minds are saturated with truth, our affections and our actions are impacted and changed because God's word has that effect. So if we're going to finish the race, if we're going to finish this journey that is this life, and we're going to be made complete, it must be with and by the guiding, teaching, correcting, training word of God. This just leads us to our next phrase that Paul uses, and these two things are intimately tied with one another. God's word is profitable for all these things so that all of us, Timothy included as the man of God, as this pastor and preacher in this church, and you too may be made complete but also be what? Equipped for every good work. See, the inspired word of God also equips us for every good work. Again, Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy, you're leading this church and you need to deal with this false teaching so continue in the word of God to do that. It's what will complete you and perfect you and enable you to lead as you've been called to. But by implication, because this is God's word to all of us, again, this includes you and me as well, because we know what Ephesians 2.10 says. Maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe you've heard it a hundred times. This is what God says to you. He says, for you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we, that you, should walk in them. This is for all of us who know Christ. All of us who are being conformed to the image of Jesus, all of us who have been redeemed by his blood and made new creations, God has good works for you to do, to walk in. 
And what Paul's saying here is that God's word is necessary to complete us and to equip us to be and do who and what God has called us to be and do in all of life. It's impossible apart from God's word. The need to be equipped is humbling, isn't it? If you really think about that, Paul's saying you need something to be equipped. The need to be equipped is humbling. It's humbling because what it's saying is by nature, you can't do any of this on your own. Listen to me. If you don't get anything else this morning, let this be an encouragement to you. You don't have what is necessary on your own to do what God has called you to do. You don't. No one does. Apart from God's grace, apart from his empowerment, apart from his word, none of us are born equipped for the good works he has prepared for us to to walk in. There are no naturally equipped people. So what God does is he calls us to walk by faith, to be dependent on his grace, to be desperate for him, to go back to his word, to arise to the tasks and the good works he's called us to walk in. Why? Because if that's true, if we do that, then he gets all the glory, not us. If anything good we do comes out of our life, as we can point back to God and say, it was because of you. It's because your word shaped my thinking. It's because your word changed my life that I recognize I no longer should live for myself, but live for you. I should seek to serve others and love others. It's not because we figured that out on our own. It's because God's word has confronted our lives in that way. And it's only then that we can we can resonate with the words of Jeremiah chapter 9. In Jeremiah 9, Jeremiah says, delivering a message from God, he says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. How do we understand him? How do we know him? It's through his word. So you and I, we all need equipping. We all need equipping. I can't be the husband or the dad or the pastor or the friend or the neighbor that I am called to be and do the things God has called me to do in each of those roles apart from the word of God. Because as I read the word, as I submit myself to the word, it addresses my heart It confronts lies in in my beliefs and and lies about myself and sin and it directs and it guides me in the way that I should go to walk in obedience with my Lord and my King. See, Sojourn, we we have to recognize, we have to understand the world is ready to teach you. The world is ready to instruct you on what it means to be a parent, what it means to be a man or a woman, what it means to be a husband or a wife, what it means to be successful The world is ready to teach you and instruct you on what it means to be loved. The world is ready to teach you about worship. It's ready to teach you about what you need to be happy or what you need to give your adoration to, maybe $930 million. The world is ready to teach you and instruct you on what you should be doing with your life. But what the world teaches you, what the world is doing is giving you direction and instructions to a false kingdom, an alternative kingdom. But the timeless word of God also gives direction and instruction. And what it gives direction and instruction to is the one true king in his kingdom. And we know that to be true because it's from God. It's his word. See, there's a constant battle going on for your mind and your heart. And as one pastor says, if you leave the word, you will conform to the world. If you leave the word, you will conform to the world. 
There's always somebody there ready to teach you, ready to instruct you about life. So Paul then says to you this morning, continue in it. Continue in God's word, and it will make you complete. It will equip you for every good work. See, God's word instructs and enables you and me to live in this world, to live in this life for his glory and for the good of others instead of for our glory and for ourselves. Now, it doesn't tell us or teach us about every specific thing about life. It's not like a magic eight ball, right? We don't go, I don't know what I should do today. Let me look real quick. Ezekiel 38 says this. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's not what God's word does. What God's word does is instructs us about who God is. It, It shapes our thinking. It shapes our way of living life. It gives us wisdom. It gives us knowledge about God. It helps us to understand and interpret the world we live in. That's what the psalmist gets at in Psalm chapter one. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That's what the world wants to teach you. No, he says, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, on his word, he meditates day and night. And what is the result of that? He tells us he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. See, this isn't just about information. It's not against it. We can pass a knowledge exam. It's not even really, at the end of the day, just about having a right theology, though our theology shapes our life. But if all we have is a right theology, then we're no better off than the demons. James 2 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder at that. It's about the reality of your heart before the Lord. Martin Luther, the famous reformer, says the entirety of the Christian life is one of repentance. One of repentance. Repentance is about renewing of your mind. It's about changing the way you're thinking. It's renewing your thoughts, renewing your mind. And the way that that's going to take place as we, as we repent is through God's word. It's turning away from that which we know to be false, to not be true, and turning to that which is true, which means along with repentance must be faith. Faith in our God and Father, that his ways are better than our ways. Faith in our Savior, that we have a continual need for his grace and his mercy that comes in and through Jesus. Faith in the Holy Spirit that apart from his work in our lives we would be lost and unchanged. And what happens is you and I walk in continual repentance and faith, we become more and more like Jesus. What Paul is saying to us here this morning is that it's the very word of God that continually leads us there to repentance, to faith. As another pastor says, the Spirit uses warnings as well as promises in order to prod us along to continued faith and repentance. And he does this as you and I have this word ingrained in us as we visit it often. In Hebrews chapter 3, we are given a warning about the deceitfulness of sin. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're given a promise that we have a high priest who helps us and is for us. In Galatians chapter 5, we're warned not to bite and devour one another. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we're given the promise of an instruction about pursuing and maintaining unity in the body. In Philippians chapter 1, we're promised that the good work God began in each of us, will he will finish. In John chapter 14, we're promised that as Jesus has gone to sit at the right hand of the Father, he won't leave us as orphans, but will return to bring us all the way home. In James chapter 3, we're warned about the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And in Matthew chapter 6, God warns us and calls us and promises all at the same time not to worry. Not to worry about tomorrow. This is more. This must 
be more than just some cognitive capacity. It has to be more than just information download. This is literally God giving us something. It's us receiving from him to be nourished, to see our hearts change and transformed as God's word washes over us, as it saturates our minds and our hearts. It just, as it does that, it reorients our hearts. It reorients our worship and our lives are forever impacted. Psalm chapter 19, verse 11, the psalmist there speaking of the word of the, of the Lord, the commands of God, it says, moreover, by them is your servant warned and in keeping them is there, there's great reward. God's word is profitable for all of life. It's profitable for all of our doctrine, all of our belief, all of what God has called us to, all of what we believe and all of what we do. It's for everything. Second Peter chapter one, verse three, Peter says there, everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us. We don't have to find it in anything or anyone else except Jesus and the word of God, who he is, the, literally the word of God. Everything we need is found here. God's word is sufficient for all of life. I like to play golf. I don't play very often. It's hard in this season of life to find four and a half or so hours to go out and, and do that with three little kids and, and just the, 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 all that's going on in the church as well. And so I like to do it, but I, just, I don't do it very often. And, and my dad likes to play golf as well and has played for a long time. And so uh, one of the benefits of that is that when he gets a new set of clubs, he gives me his old set of clubs. So I don't think I've ever actually bought any golf clubs of my own um, in, in my life. But he's given, me, he's given me his golf clubs, and he has nice golf clubs. He's had nice golf clubs, and so it's nice. I get some decent golf clubs when he decides he wants some new ones or needs some new ones. And that's fine with me. I don't need brand new ones because, hey, I don't play that much. I mean, they're nice. They're high-quality clubs. And if I use them properly and I, and, I, and I practice with them, then they can help me hit the ball well. But you know where they reside most of the time? in my basement, in the storage room, a bunch of boxes and other things. See, I can tell people I like to play golf. I can tell people that I have these nice clubs. I can have all the gear and, and even wear it or get it out. But if I never actually get out those clubs, if I never ever use them for what they're intended for, if I never practice with them regularly, then it doesn't matter. I'm not going to hit a golf ball anywhere. See, it isn't just about believing we're saying that the scriptures are God's actual words to us. It comes when we actually take them up and yield them, and wield them and use them in that way. Knowing that it has the power to change us, knowing it has the power to transform us, to complete you and to equip you. It's going to be profitable in your life only if you pick it up and read it and use it. And in doing that, you can know this for certain, that as God's word goes out, it will not return void. God will use it to accomplish his purposes in your life. Sojourn, we must be people of the word. We must be people of, our, of the word for our own sake, for the sake of this church, for the sake of the world. You and I can spend a lot of time doing a lot of different things, maybe even good things. We can download and play the latest iPhone game. We can be caught up and know what's going on in the making of a murder documentary. We can exercise regularly. We can be in shape. We can hike and bike. We can research private islands and fancy yachts hoping to hit the jackpot. But at the very same time, we have the most profitable thing in all the world given to us, God's word. Will you take it up and read? Will you take it up and read it?
As we come to the table this morning, I am struck by what a kind and gracious God we have. That the God of all creation, holy and righteous, in an act of infinite mercy and grace, promised long ago that he did not want to leave us in our sin or cast us off because of our sin and shortcomings, but he wanted to rescue us. He wanted to rescue us, restore us. But he wasn't going to do that from a distance, and he wasn't going to do it by sending a proxy. He came. He came, and he, and he tells us what he was going to do through his word. And through his word, we learn the, the, the how and the why and the who. And then when we've trusted Christ as our Savior, the Son of God, he gives us his word to make us more and more like him and to lead us all the way home. His word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And so as we come forward this morning to, to eat and drink, let's rejoice and believe in the reality that Christ came to die for us so that you and I could become children of God. That is the good news of God's word to us this morning. His body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. Praise God for that. And those of you that are not followers of Christ, we just ask you not to come forward this morning. And the reason for that is we're not trying to, to be exclusive or to make you feel uncomfortable. The reason for that is because this, this eating the bread and drinking the cup, it doesn't do anything magical for you. It doesn't save you. It's a testimony of the reality of what God has done in our lives. And so if you don't yet know Christ, we want you to hear the word of God to you this morning, that Jesus came to save you. He died on a cross for you. And he rose again to give you new life. And so if you don't yet know Christ, just as other people are getting up, moving around, and going to take the elements, would you just hang out in your seat and just pray, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe that's all you have this morning. Would you pray that God would save you today? Would you believe on Christ today? Would you take Jesus today? Experience God's grace in your life today, believing that God's word is true and real, and what he says to you is that he wants to make you his. So place your faith in Jesus today. And if you have questions about what that means, about what it looks like to know Christ or follow him, would you please come talk to me? Would you talk to any of our leaders? That's why we're here. We want you to know Jesus. And those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or head to the stations in the back. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Allow that to prime your heart for worshiping him as we continue to sing together afterwards. Let's pray. Father, we, this morning, very simply say to you, thank you. Thank you for your profitable word. That, Father, you saw fit in your eternal and perfect providence to give us this profitable word. So we thank you for that this morning. But, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to take it up and read there's so many distractions, so many things going on in our lives, so many things the world is trying to teach us, to instruct us in. Lord, would you help us to be a people of the word? Help us to take it up and read. To sit under it, to submit our lives to it. And Father, I pray that as we do that, would you use it to make us more like Jesus? And we pray this in his name. Amen.